um, where we could uh, equip people um, with what they need to be able to go out there at your place of work, uh, where you live, where you play, and uh, feel comfortable enough to talk around some of these issues that are real, that are happening, um, whether you're engaged uh, over them or not. All right? And so we thought, okay, L'Qutla is the space to do that. And, and so if you're thinking to yourself, what is L'Qutla? What does that mean? Um, Many of the languages in South Africa will, will use that phrase, uh, but basically what it communicates, it's a, it's a safe place where the community would gather to have conversations. Uh, it was a, a place where everyone had a voice, regardless of where you were socioeconomically or what your title was, uh, everybody had a voice, and it was a safe place to share what you were thinking or feeling. And so we thought, man, it just makes sense then to call this Lekotla. And, and the phrase that you see there, Ndokholuki, which, if I was to directly translate it, is uh, the greatest of wars is that of words. All right? The greatest of wars is that of words. And, and that's true. I mean, if you've uh, been on social media, uh, if you have read some of the comments on News 24, you would know that that is true, that we, are, uh, we arm ourselves with words, and then that's what we use to fight with one another. And so we thought to ourselves, okay, cool, we're going to take those very words and rather, instead of using them for, for evil or for bad or to be better than, uh, we're going to use them to serve and to engage and to love, all right? And so that's why we landed on Lekotla uh, and that very phrase. And so this evening, we're going to talk about adoption. Um, and I'm not going to say a whole lot about it because we're going to hear from uh, an incredible individual, a good friend of mine, um, and I'm sure he's got lots to share. And then we're going to bring up a panel and we're just going to have some, some dialogue. We're going to throw some questions at them. And so to do so, uh, we actually have a number that you can SMS, text, WhatsApp your questions to. Uh, the reason we've decided to do it this way is because some of the stuff that we are going to discuss, not just tonight, but even as we look into 2017, um, it's touchy stuff. It's, it's stuff that sometimes it's not easy to talk about and so sometimes people might not feel you know comfortable enough to put their hands up and say listen this is what I want to ask but then also the other side of that is uh, we also want to monitor uh, the questions that are coming we want to make sure that uh, we don't go off course and so uh, we would rather prefer that you send your questions uh, to that number via sms or whatsapp I'll leave that up there for a little bit take a picture of it or plug it into your contacts um the other thing that I want to say that I think it's incredibly important for you to know is that this, this, is, this space, even though it's safe, it's raw, all right? The space is safe, but it's raw. And so you might hear things that you just don't agree with. Uh, you might hear some things that are new and may rub you the wrong way. I, I can't protect you from that. Um, but the only thing that I can say to you is I'm hoping that you would take the time to listen. Uh, instead of uh, going on the defense, just take time to listen. Absorb those and then maybe ask a question around that if you're wrestling with something. And then even afterwards, maybe if people want to hang out a little bit, you can uh, dialogue with one another. What did you think about that? All right, This is not a, a place to start fights, but uh, again, I, I'm going to say it over and over again. It's a safe space for us to come and engage over some social issues that are real and are happening in our time and context. And so I just wanted to put that out there just because you might hear something and go, mm, I disagree with that. It's coming to you live, it's coming to you raw, and I want you to wrestle with it. Um, we have to be people who are willing to wrestle with what's happening out there if we're going to engage. Um, so having said that, uh, it's my great privilege to call up our 
speaker for tonight. Um, again, I'm not going to say too much about the topic because he's going to come and unpack that uh, to us um, about adoption. But what I will say, I'll give you just a, a brief bio about him. And uh, it's written down because I don't want to mess it up because he is an important person. Um, so his name is Devet. Uh, David is a professor of audiology at the University of Pretoria and uh, co-founder of the HearX Group. His work aims to improve access to hearing in the health industry uh, with a special focus on the underprivileged groups. He's married to uh, his beautiful wife, Marley, who is here with us, um, who works as a GP when she's not taking care of their home and their two amazing children, Nina, who is six years old, and Sia, who is three years old. Uh, they both love Jesus and uh, have a burden for orphan care through their personal experience and adoption. And you're going to hear that this evening, uh, that the golden thread that runs through his story and, and his family's story is Jesus. And so he's bringing that to the table to say, listen, as we address this issue of orphans, uh, we have to do it with Jesus at the forefront. All right. So having said that, I'm going to call up Devet, a good friend of mine, to come and share with us uh, what God's been doing in your heart, bro. Great. Well, thank you for having me and my wife here with you this evening. Um, I have a very special place for this fellowship, uh, rooted, uh, known one for a long time, know many of you here as well. And it is a privilege to be here. And adoption is my favorite topic to talk on. And uh, that's why I'm really excited to share a little bit about that with you guys um, this evening. My wife is here, as one mentioned. She's here to vet and verify that what I say is the truth. And wives are incredibly useful that way. So um, you can definitely check with her afterwards if, if something doesn't sound right to you in what we're going to share. I'd just like to kind of start off by putting up a picture of um, our family, because adoption is part of our family story. Adoption is not just part of what shaped our family, but it's part of what is shaping our family and shaping our lives. And that's why it's incredibly close to our hearts. And um, we are here at the beach in December. That's Nina. That's Sia, that's my wife, and um, both our children are adopted, Nina and Sia. So we got Nina when she was right after birth, we took her home. We got Sia when he was two months old, so eight weeks, we could take him home. We're actually in the process at the moment to do all the paperwork for our third adoption. So just right in the beginning stages of that process... It's causing a little bit of a difficult situation for us at home because Nina has a very specific request. She's requesting a, a baby sister uh, that is the same color as her. And Sia is requesting a baby brother that's the same color as he is. So uh, we've told them that, listen, unfortunately, that's not our call to make. Jesus will decide which baby we get, get into our house. But they can pray and ask him. And, uh, so, and maybe he can give us a color scheme somewhere in between. You know. But uh, we'll have to see. So maybe if I can just get a sense here from the audience. Who of you here are adopted? 
No one here adopted. Okay? Can I ask another question then? Maybe you can just raise your hands. Who of you here are Christians? Okay. Great. So, something doesn't make sense there to me. I hope at the end of the discussion this morning, when I ask that question again, you may have a different uh, response to that. So, Nelson Mandela said that there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way it treats its children. Now, if that statement is true, then we in South Africa are in a major crisis. In fact, then we as a country are failing. South Africa has 19 million children, and of those 19 million, I want to just give you a, a little bit of the statistics that relate back to the state of the children in South Africa. Only one in three children live with both biologic parents in this country. One in four children don't stay with either biologic parent. There are more than three million orphans in this country, and half of these orphans live in the poorest 20% of households in the country. So you can imagine that's one and a half million orphans living in the poorest 20% of households in the country, and the richest 20% of households only house 2% of the country's orphans. An estimate of 3,500 children are abandoned every year. So you can imagine that's 100 babies abandoned every day in this country. And in light of these enormous numbers of orphans that require homes, what is probably most shocking is the fact that in South Africa, the rate of adoptions, taking these children into your home, has halved, has reduced by more than 50% over the past 10 years. So much so that in 2015, there were only 1,168 adoptions happening in this country. There are 150,000 children that live in child-headed households. There are 650,000 children in the country that are in the foster care system, stuck somewhere in that system. And just to end this, this, uh, this, these facts off, South Africa has the fastest increase in violence towards children under the age of seven years. So, if children are the future of a country, then South Africa has a major crisis at hand, right? Orphans that are left in these circumstances have their futures set to a very large extent. The fact that you grow up in a home without the safety, without the love and the care of a, of a, of a safe family home means you're in desperate circumstances. And we know from research that children that grow up in these circumstances are more prone to lives of crime, but they are also more prone to be victims of crime. So it has this vicious cycle, as you can imagine. Studies internationally also shows that children that come out of these circumstances have IQ scores that are 20 points less than their peers. And that's not just because, that's not just because of ability, that's because of circumstances that just make them um, uh, fall below their peers on those scales. And one in four don't finish school. 
So this is a massive crisis for our country specifically. And um, I think it's clear to everyone who hears those statistics, it's almost overwhelming, but when you hear that the case to get involved with orphan care from a humanitarian standpoint or an altruistic standpoint is very clear, right? I mean, it's, there's a clear case to be made why there should be activism about this. But my hope this evening as we discuss this is that we'll take it one step deeper because I believe that the Church of Jesus Christ has a very personal uh, link to the adoption issue. And that we have a link that goes much deeper than the humanitarian um, impetus and motivation to be involved in adoption. And that's literally how I'd like to spend the rest of this evening. I'm just going to give you four reasons why the Church of Jesus Christ should care about adoption. And uh, after those four points, we're going to open it up for a couple of questions. And I'd like to give us this bigger framework because we need a framework within which to have the discussion about adoption, especially as a church and as uh, the body of Christ on planet Earth. So the first point I want to put up there is that the church is concerned about orphan care because God cares for orphans. If you read the Bible, you see that there's this theme that goes right through the Bible, from the Old through to the New Testament, um, that God cares for the fatherless, that He is the defender of the fatherless, that He is the refuge for the fatherless, and that He stands up for the rights of those who cannot stand up for their own rights. And here's just a verse from Deuteronomy showing the way that God uh, puts Himself out there as the defender for the fatherless. Listen to this. He says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. He executes justice for the fatherless. I've just pulled out a couple of other snippets from verses in the Old Testament. You can literally pick and choose where you want to select these verses because it's all throughout the Old Testament. Um, here we have uh, David in Psalm 10 who says, God is the helper of the fatherless. In Psalm 68 it says, He is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. And then in Isaiah there's this beautiful verse that says, in you, the orphan finds mercy. So our God cares about orphans, and that's why His people should care about orphans. And throughout the Bible, we see that it's not just God who cares for the orphans. It's actually that He commands His people to take care of the fatherless, those who cannot defend themselves, of which the orphans are at the top of the list, right? So in the Old Testament, Actually, just right after Moses gives the Ten Commandments, uh, just in the next piece, he, he actually addresses the issue of the orphan. And if we look at there in Exodus 22, verse 22, he says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And in Isaiah, God says that he's, to his people, he says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. And plead the widow's cause. 
So God is instructing His people in the Old Testament to look out for the needs of the orphans, of the fatherless, those who cannot defend themselves. And then if we turn to the New Testament, we see that that thread is pulled right through into the commands to His people in the New Testament. And we see in the book of James, it almost most clearly, where the brother of Jesus actually puts adoption and orphan care right in the middle of what true faith and true Christianity really is. And if we read this together, James says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one un- oneself unstained from the world. And if you look at this verse, you'll see that it's not an optional extra. He's putting this at the heart of what true faith and Christianity is all about, right? Having a concern for those who cannot look out for themselves and care for themselves. And this visit that James mentions here, to visit the orphans, Sometimes we have this picture, that means I'm going to go to, a, um, to one of these orphanages and visit the kids, and that's what he's saying there. But that's not what James is saying. He's saying you meet their need, right? You visit them there where their need is and, and, and address that need as the body of Christ. So our God cares for orphans, and so He wants His people to care for orphans as well. That brings me to the second reason that the church of Christ should be concerned about orphan care, and that is that our God doesn't just care for orphans, but He makes orphans His children. That's the wonder of the gospel. And when I asked the question earlier here about who here was adopted, um, there is, in reality, the very real sense that Each of us, if you're a Christian, if you belong to the church of Jesus, that your story is an adoption story. It's the story of everyone who has accepted the offer of Jesus and the sacrifice that He made to bring us into God's family. And uh, I like the way that uh, one of the famous theologians of the previous century, he's still alive, um, J.I. Packer, actually put this. Uh, So let me just read it for you. I've also got it up here on the screen. He said that if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for our God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. So what he's saying is is that adoption is the highest privilege of every Christian. That's at the very top. That's the cherry on top of his salvation plan for us. It's the fact that we actually become children of the living God, adopted into His family. And it's at the heart of the Bible story and of God's story that He is a God who looks at to find people like you and I who were lost, who were hopeless, who were alone, and He 
puts His grace on us and He makes us His own children, brings us into His family. But in fact, the Bible is actually more clear that our situation is more desperate than that, right? Because we were dirty sinners in God's world, rebels in His world, um, that we were filled with self-love, jealousy, pride, hate, malice, and lust. Sometimes we make the mistake to think that God looked at us and He saw these adorable children and He just wanted to adopt them for His own. But the Bible's reality is that it's entirely the opposite, that we deserve His condemnation, right? We deserve His wrath for the sin that we bore against Him first and foremost. But despite that, we see the good news of the gospel. In fact, in that, we see the good news of the gospel. We see God's love in this. John says in his first epistle, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's exactly in the fact that he makes us his children, despite the fact that there's nothing in us that deserves to be his children that we see the magnitude, the depth, and the breadth of God's love for us. We, of all people who don't deserve God's love, gets His love through what Jesus did for us. Let's just look at what, how Paul says it as well. I mean, we've looked at James. Let's see how Paul puts it in Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, God saves us through His Son, who became a man, like you and I, to live the perfect life under the law, the perfect life that none of us could live, and He died the death, took the penalty of our sin onto Himself, absorbed it in His body, so that God could forgive us, and through that forgiveness could adopt us and make us His own. And this is the reason why God urges His people to have a concern for children who are like us um, and in need of, of a family and in need of the love of a family. When we got Sia, our youngest child, at the baby home, um, he was two months old, and um, we went to the baby home. There were 35 other children in this baby home. It's a bit of a surreal experience to walk into these baby homes. And uh, we collected Sia. We got the court papers that said that Sia, or his name was Nal Nzinga, is now Sia Swanapul, and on the birth certificate it says, as if born unto us. And in that we saw a most beautiful picture of the gospel. His, God's name is written over us when he adopts us. When we take in a child into our family, he gets our name. It's written over his life, and he becomes part of our family. And we feel like 
that was a little window into the Father heart of God. Because that's exactly what He did for us. God made us His children, sons and daughters of the living God and brothers of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And in reality, His name is written over us. He's opened His house, He's opened His heart, His home, and He's taken us in to be co-heirs with His Son and in the kingdom for all eternity. And nothing, I believe, makes this truth more tangible to the world out there than when Christians follow the example of their father, opening their homes for children who have nowhere to go and giving them a safe place to live in the love of a family, a family who writes their name on him like God has written his name on us. So God makes orphans his children, and therefore God's children gives orphans a home and takes them in and makes them their children. That brings me to the third point why I believe the church of Jesus Christ should be involved in orphan care. And that is because orphan care is spiritual warfare. In Revelation, uh, the devil is described as the destroyer. And he has always had a very particular knack and taste to destroy children, especially those who are most vulnerable. In fact, we see it right in the beginning of the Old Testament where God chose a man to save his people from slavery in Egypt. He chose Moses. And at that big turning point in the biblical history, in the biblical story, what happened? Pharaoh said, kill all the two-year-old Israelite boys. And there was a mass slaughter, but through God's grace, he saved Moses. 1,500 years later, again at the big turning point in biblical history, another baby was born in a little town called Bethlehem. And Herod had all the young babies under two years old killed and murdered in that town. By God's grace, he saved that child. It was his son who saved all of us from the slavery of sin. And the devil has always, this destroyer, had this knack to destroy babies. And today he's destroying more babies than ever before, whether through abortion or whether through destroying families so that children grow up without those social structures and their lives are a testimony to the devastation that that kind of um, family, broken family structures result in. And Christians, as the church of Christ, are called to resist that work. It makes me think of the, of the Roman Empire. Uh, the practice, actually, of um, abandoning babies was very common in those days. There was even a term for it. It, it. There was this term, it was exposing. So if you didn't want your baby, they couldn't do, have an abortion, but if you didn't want your baby, it was born, you went outside the city and left it on the ash heaps outside in the rubbish dumps. And either to, for the child to die of the weather or the cold or the heat or from lack of food, or they were sometimes picked up for slavery and for prostitution. But in the first century, there was a growing little group of people who got the reputation, even from their enemies, that they were taking in these babies, picking them up from the ashes, going outside the cities and taking them into their homes, adopting them and making them their children 
and raising them as part of their family. And that, of course, was the first century church. It was actually, they were taking care of these babies to such an extent that as Christianity grew in the 4th century AD, one of the first Christian emperors actually, for the first time, made exposing babies illegal. And that's how the Christian values influenced the Roman Empire at, at that stage. And the church has always, therefore, been known for caring for children that no one wants. No matter who they are, no matter what their background is, no matter what their social status is, no matter what racial background or social background or socioeconomic background they have. As the church of Christ in this country, in light of the massive problem we have with children who don't have a home, I think, it, in my mind, it's a big indictment on the name of the church that we're not known for that anymore. The Church of Christ has been silent in the adoption issue for far too long, especially in South Africa. And we, of course, as Christians are called to this orphan battle, it's not comfortable, it's not easy always, it's not always pleasant, especially in a country like ours where adoption is oftentimes across racial um, boundaries and where we know this country is filled with all kinds of tensions, especially racial tensions. Adoption is a sensitive issue. And adoption across these lines bring a lot of these tensions to the forefront. But we always think that that reminds us of how amazing our God is because He has adopted us, right, across every racial line, across every socioeconomic barrier, across every socio, um, social status um, standards or barriers that there may be God adopted us across those divides. And I believe that as His people, we should reflect His heart um, and adopt irrespective of background. Warfare has never been easy, and adoption, as I said, is spiritual warfare. The amazing thing, however, is that every child who gets a home shines a little bit of the kingdom light of God's glorious gospel that He has given to us to spread the good news of a God who saves people. The fourth reason and the last one I want to share with you is that orphan care is discipleship, and that's why the Church of Christ should care about orphan care. Jesus' great commandment before He left this planet to go back to the right hand of His Father was, go and make disciples of all nations. Right, and to care for orphans gives us as Christians this amazing opportunity to take in a child into our homes, to be part of our lives, to learn from the word that we teach them, but also the way they see the gospel being lived out in our lives, that we disciple them and that they become part through God's grace of His eternal family. There is no better place for discipleship than in the love and care and safety of home. And by God's grace, our prayer is that our children that we adopted into our family will experience another adoption, an adoption into their heavenly Father's home as they experience Him in the daily life and the way we share the good news of Jesus in our lives. But in reality, the interesting thing about adoption as well and discipleship is that... Um, it also works the other way around. 
God dis, uh, disciples us through adoption. And uh, my wife and I often have this experience where people talk to us about the kids that we adopted, and uh, they would say, wow, these kids are so fortunate to be in your home. And of course, that comment makes us very uncomfortable because we feel like we're the fortunate ones to have gotten them into our family and to have seen how God has used them to disciple us, to get rid of a lot of the self-centeredness, the, the um, selfishness, and even the subtle racism that was hiding in the deep recesses of our hearts, that He has discipled us into that. So we are also discipled in that. And uh, the church of Jesus should be concerned about orphan care because it's a wonderful opportunity for discipleship in both of those ways. Now I'm going to kind of draw this to a close now by just turning to a practical point on how does the church get involved in orphan care? How do we get a movement going whereby the church actually takes this up as an important gospel-centered issue? I'm not going to give all the answers. I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of a spread. I hope we can touch on more of these points when we have a discussion afterwards, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts as well. The first thing I want to say here is that everyone is involved. If you remember what we said about that piece where James makes the point of orphan care being in the, at the heart of true faith in Christianity, that it wasn't optional. It's a characteristic of the Christian community, that we have this concern for orphans. So let me just read that piece in James again to you. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that is a general characteristic of the church of Christ. It's not intended for a small group of special Christians somewhere. It is intended for the body of Christ. Everyone is involved. And as a church, I think we often make this mistake that we think there is a small little special group, maybe those people who can't have their biologic own children, and they are the ones that should be adopting. But James doesn't leave that open. He says it's a characteristic of the body of Christ. That brings me to the second point I want to make here about the practical implications for a church. Everyone is involved, but of course not everyone does the same thing, right? There are families that are called to open up their homes, and they can open it up for things like adoption, which means you take a child into your home, you make them your own, they get your name, and they are your child, just like a biological child is the child of another family, forever, the other way in which you can be involved is to be a place of safety. These are families who open up their homes to take in young children who may have been taken away from circumstances that have been um, you know, uh, not good for them, not safe. Um, and, and you look after these children for a certain period of time until they can be placed with another family or they can be placed in, um, in the foster care system. And then there, are, of course, is foster care as well. These are families that open up their homes to take in children who oftentimes may have the opportunity to go back to their biologic parents. The circumstances may just be such that they cannot go there at this stage, 
So you're looking after these children. Sometimes it also has this longer-term view where it can turn into an adoption. Those are kind of the three general areas where how families can open up their homes for children. I just have to say here before we move on, there are too few families in the church today that are doing this. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, this is just from experience. This is from the statistics that I read to you earlier. There are too few families who do the, uh, these kind of adoptions. In fact, a large percentage of those adoptions that are done are not done by church members. They're done from international adoption agencies and, um, and, and all kinds of other special situations. So that's the one way. Families can open up their homes. The second way is that families can support other families in the church can support these families who open up their homes. All of you are, who are parents know that it's a tough job to be a parent. You always feel inadequate. You're always feeling like you need more wisdom, more, more energy, more strength. And when you're adopting a child, it is a child with a special need. And you are going to need the support of the rest of the body of Christ. Uh, whether that's through prayer, which you definitely can support these families with, whether it's through financial support. Sometimes adoptions can cost a bit of money. There's our agencies who do this, and there are mo there's money involved. There may be families who can't afford it, and the church can certainly support there. And then, of course, just emotional and practical support is a wonderful way for the body to serve people who are at the forefront of opening their homes um, to children. So, the church has been given these gifts amongst themselves to build up this ministry as a testimony to the world of the way that the church takes orphans in to reflect the heart of their father. And I want to just kind of end off this practical note so that we can move into the discussion with another example of a church who actually got involved, who got their hands dirty, and, and just the way that this made a difference and the way that this has shone a light. Um, unfortunately, this example is not from South Africa. I'm still looking for that example from a church in South Africa, so I'm hopeful Rooted will be that church. But um, this is from the church um, in Alabama in the U.S. Um, the pastor there was David Platt. I don't know who of you knows David, David Platt. He's also a, um, at, at the moment, he's, he's the president of the International Missions Board. So he's not the pastor of this church anymore. But when he was the pastor, they were working through Isaiah, and uh, th they just had a burden to see what, how can they get involved in orphan care and foster care, looking after the children in their community in a, in, in a, in a better and more uh, practical way. So the one day he literally just picked up the phone and he called the Human Development Resources Center in their county, and the social worker picked up the phone on the other end, and uh, he said, how many families would it take to solve the problem of adoption and fostering in, in our county? And the lady, of course, just burst out laughing. She was like, you must be joking. And he said, no, no, no. If, if, there, if there was to be a miracle, how many families would you need to take care of all the foster and all the adoption needs in our county? And she said, if there was a miracle and there was 150 families, we should be able to sort that out. So he went back to their church. They had a discussion, a meeting like this. And after that discussion that he had with the church where he shared this, 160 families signed up 
to get involved. And that started an entire process where families signed up, went through all the paperwork to get involved with adoption, to get involved with the foster care system, to address the needs of that county. He tells the story that one of these families who were adopting or fostering um, twins, uh, they were four months old, they came out of severely abused circumstances. The one twin had a broken arm, the other had a broken leg. And um, he was there when they were placing these two children with this family. And the social worker turned to this David Platt with tears in her eyes. And she said, why did you tell your people to do this? And he turned to her and he said, I didn't tell these people to do this. But God loves these children enough to tell his people to take care of these children because they are reflecting the heart of their God. What a testimony to the world out there. And my prayer for us as the church in South Africa is that we will be a people who understand the depths of the love of God to such an extent, the depths of that love that brought us in from the cold, that brought us in from an out of his condemnation into his love through adoption and into his family, that we will understand that to such an extent that we will lives, live lives that reflect the Father heart of God. And I do believe that there is no more powerful testimony and example to the world of what the gospel looks like than when a family, a Christian family, opens their home and brings in a child into that family and adopts them, makes them their own. And, um, and, I, and I hope that we can shine more of that light in this world. Let me pray for us, and then I think we're going to have a, a, enough time to have a good discussion. I hope you have lots of questions. Um, but let me just pray for us and ask God to bring these thoughts together in our hearts. Holy Father, we know that even as we mention that name, it is the biggest, highest privilege that we have in our lives. That we can lift up our voices and know that we are heard in the highest heaven by a God who is not only our God, not only the God who is holding the whole universe in His mighty hands, but at the same time, He is our Father our Father who will be our Father forevermore. When every other blood relationship has passed away, this relationship will remain, that we are family of the living God. We thank you for that privilege. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who thought of adoption before you created the world, as you say in Ephesians, that it was your plan to adopt children into your family and uh, to bring them into your love. We thank you for that privilege. We ask that you will, Lord, make us people who understand that, the depths of your love, in such a way that we cannot live lives that look the same, Lord, Lord, that our lives cannot carry on the same way, but that we will open our lives to reflect that glorious truth by taking care of the children and the orphans and the fatherless who cannot look out for themselves. May this become again a true mark of your church.
especially in this country of South Africa. Amen. Thanks, David. Um, thanks so much. Um, before we transition into the, uh, the kind of panel Q&A time, um, we're going to try so, some things that are a little different, might be a little weird. Um, and so bear with us if they don't work all the way. Um, but we're going to play around with technology. And so we've got someone Skyped in who's going to be a part of the panel uh, in Cape Town. got an incredible story, so he'll come up on the screen in a moment. But before we do that, and before I call up the panel, um, I just want to show a, sh a short video of this individual. I'll, I'll kind of give you uh, his name and his story in a bit. Um, but I think it might be helpful just to hear uh, a little bit of his story um, through a really, really cool video that, that he does. Uh, he's actually got a YouTube channel. Uh, addressing this very issue of adoption. And so um, that'll come up on the screen, and then I'll be back to call up the... Oi! Stop asking adoptive dads stupid questions, people. <laughs> hey there. Welcome to another episode of Afro Daddy. Now, if you've watched pretty much any of the other Afro Daddy videos, you'll know that my wife and I adopted our first child. His name's Liam... And he's awesome. Sick that guy. Now we've made it a little bit of our mission to educate people about the language they use around adoption and to adoptive parents. But despite our best efforts, we still hear about people getting asked this one ridiculous question. Why did you adopt? Weren't you able to have your own kids? If you don't understand why this is a really offensive question, let me break it down for you. Firstly, the issue of infertility is a super sensitive one for families. Miscarriages are physically and emotionally painful in a way that I could never understand. And trying to fall pregnant year after year after year and going for treatments over and over again must be one of the most emotionally draining things a couple can go through. So the last thing these good people need is for someone who they obviously aren't very close to asking them a deep and personal question like this. And if you're not sure if you're close enough to actually ask the person if they ever struggled to fall pregnant, here's a good rule of thumb. If you don't already know the answer to the question, you're not close enough. It's that simple. But that first point only talks about 5% of why the question is so offensive. Because here's something that you should all understand. Even though I technically adopted my first son, he is my son. I don't look at him and go, oh, there's my adopted son. That would be stupid. I look at him and go, there's my son. He's the one kicking a ball into that other kid's face. In fact, everywhere that actually matters, he is my boy. I have a legal piece of paper from the government that declares that he is my son as if he was born to me, which is one of the coolest things I've ever read, by the way. And if you think that he's not really my son because I adopted him, why am I doing all the things that dads do? Why am I waking up at 3 a.m. to change a poo nappy? Why am I constantly picking up toys off my floor? Why am I laying awake at night wondering what he's going to be like one day? Why do I get such a sense of pride when he learns a new skill? I'm doing all the things that dads do because I'm his dad. And when you ask me if I couldn't have one of my own, you're implying that he's not one of my own. And he really, really is. And if you are thinking about adoption, these are great answers to have in your memory so that you are armed when someone throws the stupid question your way. 
Thank you so much for listening to this entire rant. I hope you found it helpful. If you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to my channel. Click this button. It'll take you right there. And if you're watching on Facebook, go to www.facebook.com forward slash AfroDaddyCT. And it'll take you to my Facebook page. And you can talk to me and we can interact. And we can have loads of fun. Thank you so much for watching. I'll see you soon. Cool. I, uh, I hope that was helpful. Um, and he should be up on the screen shortly. But while that transition is happening, could I have Devet back up? And Bui, do you mind coming up to the stage? Mike, do you mind helping? Mike, do you mind helping putting these chairs up for us, please? Do I also get a seat? You do. Oh, my word, that is a huge head. <laughs> Hello, good sir. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi. Uh, my name's Terrence, and I'm from Cape Town. Please come up. Hi, Hi. Terrence. Here's your mic. And, and it looked like you guys just watched one of my videos. I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that was not my idea. <laughs> no no stress. It, 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 was, it was entertaining and encouraging, so thank you. Thank you. But I can see myself looking at you, and I'm like 40 times the size of a normal human being. <laughs> that, yeah, I can see how that can be scary. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, let me, let me just quickly intro uh, or give a brief bio of who uh, the guy with the big head and the big afro on the screen is. Um, so that's Terrence Mentor. Uh, he is married to his lovely wife, Julie. Uh, together, they have two boys, Liam and Eli, and he uh, is a presenter, I believe, for Prime Media, lives in Cape Town, and is passionate about this very topic and issue that we are talking about, and I'm glad to have you Skyped in, and we're going to try to see if we can make this work. Um, looks like it's doing okay for now. Um, and so what I'll do, Terrence, is I'm going to intro the folks up here, and then I'm going to start with some leading questions to everyone. And then we'll take some questions that have been sent uh, from the folks that are here. And then we'll just see how this goes. All right. So cool. I've spoken about David. You know who he is. Um, on my right is Buisiwe Nklengetwa. Did I say right? Yes. And uh, there's something about the Tswana tongue that just, there's certain things that it just doesn't do. And uh, so I, I was sitting there half, like the whole time just practicing. Like I wasn't listening to what you were saying. I was just going, how do I say this? How do I say this? Um, can I call you Bui? Is that cool? Very cool. Uh, she has a beautiful little girl called Nkanyezi. Um, did I say that right? Uh, yep, there we go. Um, Bui works at Mintec in uh, Johannesburg, and uh, she uh, works in procurement. Yeah, great. And also very, very passionate uh, about this very topic that we're talking about. Uh, I feel like I'm super low. Do I look weird? Yeah. I do? Small. Oh, can you hold this for me? Because I'm not, I'm not that small. Some people call that humility. You know? Hashtag CrossFit. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's a horrible joke. Um, so maybe let me start with you, uh, David, yeah. seeing as you kicked us off um, with an incredible, incredible presentation. Um, just reminding us, uh, and I, when I say us, I mean us as the church, of uh, how God views uh, adoption and then how we are to respond to that. Um, and so I just have a, a few leading questions for you. 
uh, that might be helpful for some of us sitting here. And, uh, and maybe let's start off with kind of how you introed when you, you said that you guys, uh, you and Marley and your family are looking to adopt again yeah. um, this year. So, so the question is, how, how do you communicate the adoption story to your kids? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's outside in the, in the world, there's a negative attitude to adoption, right? The word has a negative connotation oftentimes in people's minds. For us, of course, it's the exact opposite. I mean, for us, it has a positive connotation, and that's the message we want to get across to our kids. So um, we've been very open about this with them from the very start. You know, even when they were young babies, we were sharing their story with them. And uh, we've been feel, felt privileged to be Christians because we can frame it against the, the background of the gospel. Um, so the way we've communicated to them is that every one of us has a unique story. And uh, their story is different than uh, many of the other children. But just like everyone has a unique story, theirs is unique. We tell them that children come into homes through either natural birth, through cesarean section, and others come into families through adoption. And their story is an adoption story. And uh, we also make sure that they know that their tummy mummies love them enough to actually look for a good home for them. And so that they have a positive view of the, uh, their biological mother. And we make sure that, that that's part of the message we communicate to them. Each of our children we've made a book for that tells their story and that goes through this entire process and uh, so that they know from the very start that they had a tummy mummy that couldn't look after them but loved them enough to actually put them into the care of Marley and I and that we believe that that was Jesus' perfect plan for their lives and that's why they can rest and be joyful and we can be joyful because we know that that's the perfect story that's been written for them and for us. Brilliant, brilliant, thanks. Um, and maybe let me ask this, this one. Um, because we saw a picture of your family and, and you, you, know, you spoke about them at great length. Uh, and so it was quite obvious that Nina is uh, Caucasian. Yeah, Caucasian, yes. Uh, I just want to be politically correct. And, uh, if you're and in the U.S., that would be politically correct. Is, is it not here? <laughs> is it okay to say white here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking the only white guy on stage. So, um, No, no, but... And so Sia is, is black. Um, what, what were some of the challenges? So, so maybe tell that story um, of the decision there, um, so why it worked out that way. Um, and then how was that for both you and Marley and then for family? Or maybe just the public? Yeah, so that's a, a big question. So um, when we decided to adopt, we expected to adopt a black baby right from the start just because that's where the need is. I mean... There is a, a, a long waiting list if you want to adopt a white baby, but there are a lot of babies who are not white who need homes. So we signed up to the adoption process, started it, and then through a left field way through a neighbor of Marley's, of my, of my mother, Marley's mother, um, uh, there, was a, there was a girl who was an orphan who fell pregnant, and that's how Nina came into our family. Um, and then we started the adoption process again and uh, fully expecting that it will be a black baby. At that stage, we did our, our only uh, preference was for a child younger than six months. And uh, I, I don't think we put in a preference for gender. No, we said it, uh, it could be a boy or a girl. And then Sia 
came into our family. So in terms of the challenges, of course, I mean, there are challenges if you adopt trans or cross racially, um, just because of the nature of the country that we live in, right? And um, we certainly had to prepare our family. I mean, this was a place where we had to have discussions with them. We had to write letters giving our conviction why we're doing this. It gave us an opportunity to share the gospel as well. I mean, a wonderful way because, again, as we said, it frames the gospel in such a beautiful way. Maybe I can just tell the story. Marley's father was a general in the military. So you can imagine for him this was uh, especially a difficult transition. But the amazing thing is how God uses that to change people's hearts. I mean, now he loves Sia so much, we sometimes feel guilty because of the way the other children don't get the same attention as Sia does, you know. So um, it, it's also an amazing opportunity to see how God can work in difficult circumstances, yeah. Great, thanks. Um, let me transition to you, Terence. Um, there we go. Uh, maybe, maybe share, because I know your story, um, but then maybe, maybe just share the makeup of your family. Share, briefly, very briefly, because um, we're going we're gonna to double-click on that, but just the makeup okay. of your story and, and, and how you uh, got into this. Uh, okay, well, briefly, uh, my wife is also Caucasian. I guess we're going with that. <laughs> um, uh, I am not. I'm Khaled, Cape, Cape Khaled, proud. And um, when we got married, a couple of years after we got married, we, well, when I say we, my wife strongly suggested that we should try doing what uh, the vet mentioned in his in his talk. Um, we decided to be safety care parents, temporary safety care parents, um, to babies who were in the process of being adopted. Uh, we did that for a couple of years, but I think about three years, we looked after um, 14 little babies, little beautiful babies, um, who stayed with us anywhere from a couple of days to three or four months, which was um, difficult and joyous and amazing and scary and sad. <laughs> and the 14th boy, the 14th child, for some inexplicable reason, just caught our hearts. Um, and we both decided that this was the the boy that we we needed in our family. We wanted to be part permanently part of our family. Um, so he became our first child, our first son, Liam. And um, and then a couple of months after the adoption went through, we found out that my wife was uh, pregnant with what would be our second child, very happily and unexpectedly. <laughs> so we have now have a three-year-old and an 18-month-old who are both trying to fall asleep right now. We, uh, we apologize for... Uh... <laughs> Causing issues there in the fa- now, um, so let me let me let me double click on that. So, I don't want to romanticize uh, the adoption and uh, and its complexities. And as beautiful as it is, you know, we we live in a world that sees things differently, um, and race being one of those. And so, uh, maybe share a little bit about um, some challenges, maybe that you've experienced, or just experiences of one you being in a mixed. Uh, marriage, right, and and then and then two, just your your boys. Um, what does a a night in Cape Town look like when you guys are rolling through the streets? Like, what 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 are some of your experiences of that? <laughs> 
Well, um, if you look the way I do, you're you're used to getting double double takes. <laughs> you you get used to the the extra long stares. Um, but it is I've been quite surprised at the the response that we get. Most people uh, think it's quite uh, cool. They they like the the image of the new South Africa. You know the the uh, white mom, the colored dad, the the black older brother, and the half and half younger brother. Um, uh, there have been moments where people really struggle with the right language, um, the way they refer to Liam um, as my adopted child and Eli as my real child when they're both my real ch children. Um, I've cleaned both of their bums, really. And, um, uh, so, so that's something where, where both my wife and I have been trying to educate people a little bit better um, around, around the language that they need to be using and also just, you know, strangers coming up to us to, to ask us, oh, where, where is um, his real mom? You know, and I'd say, oh, his, his mom is back at home. And then they would look at me and go, no, but where is his real, real mom? And I'm like, no, his real mom is my wife. She's, obviously, I understand that what they mean is, you know, where is his tummy mom? Um, and uh, something that we've really struggled with is people trying to get his story. And really, that's quite private. That's that's really Liam's story. It's not really my right to share. But people are curious, and they they can quite they can actually be quite impolite sometimes trying to get the 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 whole his, his whole backstory. And uh, so that's something we struggled with. Cool. Thanks. Um, yeah, we'll we'll come back to that. Uh, I just want to turn over to to Bui. Um, what's going on? Um, Go. Cool. Um, so, so here's my question, and, and I want to find the right way to phrase it. Um, so, so when we think about adoption, and let me let me speak for myself because people here are very perfect. Um, <laughs> when I think about adoption, the natural thing that comes to mind is uh, white people adopting, and and if I double click that, it's white people adopting black kids, right? Whether they're international, whether they're local. Um, you don't, I don't come across, and I know they're out there. Um, I mean, you sitting here are a clear example of that. Um, but I, I don't know too many, or I don't come across too many um, black people adopting. And there's a number of reasons why when we, if we get into it. Um, so, so maybe my question to you is, is what was that like? What, how did people respond? How did your family respond? Um, you, you being black and adopting. Uh, and then I'll double click on that. So answer that. How, what was the response okay. to that? All right. Um, maybe let's start by saying it's not the honest truth, yeah? Because I think many black families adopt. It's just that they don't do it legally, through the legal route. Because you find many families don't have uh, mothers, dads, but the grandmother will take them or the aunt or the uncle. So it becomes like it's just a normal, just shift them to the next uh, family. Or if you can't have babies, well. Put, to put it that way, some family would take, then others have like five kids, they take a kid and give it to them. But um, my family, I've never received so much support in my life like I did. It was amazing. I expected uh, like a whole lot of ah from my dad, but I actually told him last because I thought, you see, I don't want any disturbance here. But he was very, very, very supportive. I think his only beef was that why was he the last one to know? But I had to explain to him why. I, I had to be honest about it. 
the only person I had a challenge with was my cousin. She was very, why have you done? Well, what have you done? Why are you doing this? Just get married. Get, get a boyfriend. Just, just no, 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 no. And every time I say this is, okay, don't, don't tell people. Just, yeah, that was the only challenge. But seriously, the support I've received from the, just generally everybody was cool. Really cool. Okay, let me, let, me, let me press in a little bit because you, you said it. Um, so, so being a single parent and adopting, again, the perception, and, and you might correct me like you just did now. Um, so, so the perception is, you know, it's, it's people who are married, it's a couple that will adopt. Um, why, h- how did you go about doing that? Why did you do that? Uh, how do you think about it? What would you say to people who are sitting here and thinking that and going, you know what, uh, I'm not married uh, I'm not in a relationship, so I'm just, this isn't an issue for me. Okay. All right. Um, adoption jumped on me. Okay, it didn't really jump on me, right? Because I remember when we were 16 and somewhere there we decided, me and my friends, we're just going to adopt five of us. We're going to adopt, live in this big house, no marriage, boys are anyway, so much. Yeah. But it was a fading thought afterwards, and we didn't do anything about it. And um, I happened to be a... I don't understand, but I helped a friend. She, she involved me a lot in her adoption process. So in the adoption process, I got to be introduced to everybody that she was busy with. And while going around there, um, I, I just in passing, I thought, oh, can I have one of those? And she says to me, no, go to the social work. I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. And I went, I'm like, please give me one of those babies. And she says, fine, call me on Monday. I thought, right, <laughs> no, thank you. And interestingly, Monday I called. And uh, they sent me forms, I filled them in, and I did it. But I think in the process, I was like, okay, in this very hectic life of mine, I was from a party, 3 a.m., and I'm thinking, where's the baby going to fit in here? No, 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 I'm single, my money issues are, and it was all crazy. I thought, no ways, I'm not going to do this. And for about eight months, I stopped, because I thought, no, my life is hectic enough. But I promise you, something took me back, and I found myself knocking at a door, and um, I've never looked back. It's been the best, most amazing, most fulfilling experience I've ever had. I've, I, I don't think, it, it actually felt like I'm going to burst. And it's not a sing, uh, no, it's not a couple's thing. I know many single mothers who have adopted. We actually have a small group, and most of us are single moms who have adopted. And I think about two or three single dads. But it's, it's a few families, and then a whole lot of single moms. But... Um, I, I don't think anybody can prepare for this. This is something that is from above. Like, I, I can tell you, this was not from me. And if I had to do it without me knowing what the implications are or what it feels like, I would have never done it on my own. And I'm grateful to God every day for the experience that I'm going through. I've never, it's, it's almost like you're going to burst from joy. It's, it's too fulfilling. You, you, you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, there's this person I'm looking after. And she's all mine and she's gorgeous, like totally gorgeous. Very, very, very cool. Thank you. Um, so, so now I'm going to open up to to some of the questions that people have been sending through. Um, and so, how we're going to do it is we're going to try to keep the answers short. Um, but, but anyone can jump in uh, to answer the the questions. All right. And so, I'm going to I'm going to kick it off because uh, a few people have asked about the process of adoption. All right. And um, from you know, what is it like? Uh, do you go, you know, government route? Do you go private agency? What's the difference? What's the cost? How, how much does it cost? Like, what do you need to think through 
um, when thinking about maybe this might be something that uh, I want to enter into that I feel like God is calling me to. So, so talk a little bit about the process. Talk about the difference between private agencies and, and government, and and then talk about some costing. Uh, okay. a, anyone can go. Okay, I'll go through. I went the government way. Uh, it wasn't very. Co- it wasn't costly at all. I don't think I spent more than five thousand rand. The only ch- okay. When I did it, this was like four, four, five years ago, it wasn't that bad. The process was smooth and beautiful. I think the only challenge was that when you're a single mother, they questioned my, as a single mother personally, they questioned my ability to stay in a relationship because I'm not a, I'm not a high on dating or anything. I've been single for like forever almost. So they, go, <laughs> okay. so they questioned my, my ability to be with somebody without feeling bad. So the process is not long, but they will want to know everything and everything that will affect the child's stability and ability for you to let this be a continuous thing. Not one day you wake up and like, no, thank you. But I didn't spend more than 5000 and um, it was long only because I stopped for that eight months. And it can go from anything between Six months to two years, or however long you take. Okay. Guys? Um, Aldo, we, uh, we were saving up for a trip to Thailand, <laughs> and instead of that trip, we, 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 pay, we used a way to adopt. <laughs> so uh, we went the private route, and that's why the... the uh, so I'm going to turn the volume down, because there's a bit of feedback. Um, so we ended up uh, spending that trip money to go on uh, adopt to, uh, adopting route. Um, but uh, the actual process was really smooth for us. It took about uh, about four months, three to four, not less, actually three months all told. Um, and we had great social workers who really uh, supported, uh, supported us and took us through the process really, really well. They, they told us exactly what we needed to do. And um, it, was a, it was a very sm- smooth process for us. But of course, the, the more boxes you tick, uh, or at least the more boxes that you don't take uh, as to what child you would you would prefer, whether um, race is an issue, whether age is an issue, whether special needs is an issue, that can extend the, the amount of time that you would actually have to wait for a child to be available. Um, like Tibet said, if you are looking for, look, wanting to adopt a white child, you could wait years and years and years, whereas if you have no preference, um, it can be very quick. David, do you want to you say anything? Well, I can just say one uh, thing about the process is that there are a lot of hoops that you have to s- jump through. You know, if you're an adoptive parent, you literally have to have a police clearance, you have to have a sexual offenders clearance. So uh, you almost sometimes feel like people who have a, their own biologic kids can just have those kids. There's no qualifications. But if you ha- adopt a child, you literally have to have a pedigree that kind of adheres to all of these uh, standards. So... Um, so next time you see an adoptive parent, you can know that they've been through all those steps, you know? Yeah. Also that they clean their flat or their house because yeah. they do have home visits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, were you, you were saying? No, they know everything about you, even more than what you know about yourself. Oh, they wow. do, like, checks, like crazy checks. Wow. So if you're hiding something out there, guys, yeah. <laughs> like I can It'll see some, pe- some, some people in the crowd just going, oh, I guess that I can't. <laughs> when I was 12 years old, there was that no. Um, Pay your traffic fines. Oh, there we go. <laughs> How did you know that about me? No. <laughs> um, so, so maybe let's, since, since we're talking about the process, um, and, and Terence, you mentioned uh, you guys started off first as being a place of safety. Um, maybe chat a little bit about that because 
some people might be thinking, well, adoption, it's permanent. Um, this is the first time I'm hearing this. Like, I, I don't know if I can step into that. Uh, is there something that I can do that kind of transitions me or, or allows me to um, kind of walk into the adoption process? Um, so, so speak a little bit about uh, being a place of safety, what that means, what is fostering. Maybe some of us know that word. Uh, yeah, chat around that. Sure. Um, I, uh, when we got married for the first two or three years, we knew we weren't in a place to be um, forever parents, but we did have a spare room and we had the ability to care for kids in the short term. Um, and uh, my wife had a real heart to care for the kids, the, the young little babies of, of Cape Town specifically. Uh, she, she, we also found out that um, there's a three to four month waiting period between when a child is born and when they can be placed with a, a forever family. So almost like a cooling off period, so to speak. But that child still needs care in that time. So we decided that we would um, be those people who would care for those kids for um, a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. I think the longest we did was about four months for one child. And um, that is scary. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's it's. It sounds like it's the the easy way. Um, it's not necessarily the easiest route um, because you are giving all your love and affection and attention to this child, and then you know the child's going to be taken away from you. But if you do want to help in the short term, there's a great option. Um, we we get a lot of we got a lot of support from our church and our family. Uh, people helped us out with funds. You know, formula can be very expensive. Uh, nappies can be very expensive. We got a lot of donations of cribs and prams and clothes and um, and we didn't go into it blind. We we did a lot of research first. We 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 collected as much stuff as we could. Uh, because what often happens is you'll get a call from a social worker saying, hey, uh, we needed to place a child with someone today. Can you can you take a child today? <laughs> and we'd, have, we'd say yes, and we'd go to the hospital, we'd pick the child up, and that's the kind of turnaround time that you would need. Uh, so so that was really great. It was, it was a, a big learning curve for both of us, especially for me. I had to learn how to burp and feed and change nappies and, um, and do all those dad things uh, very quickly. Um, but the, the, the caution that I'd give to, pe- to people who are thinking about doing this kind of thing is that you are giving your heart to a little person and that little person will almost inevitably be taken away from you and given to a forever family or placed somewhere else. Uh, and um, there were lots of times when I, when I wanted to quit and when I told my wife that I couldn't do it anymore and uh, she would just reply, well, it is hard, but... Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth doing. So you really do have to balance up um, what you can and can't do, and and you have to really be honest with yourself because uh, to to put your hand up and go for something like that without being certain that you can handle it can actually do a lot of damage to yourself and to the child. That's good, thanks. Um, just just quickly, um, let's put numbers to it um, from start to finish. How long did it, the whole process take for you? Eight, eight months, you said? No, no, no. I stopped for eight months. My first meeting was in August 2010, okay. uh, August. And I got the baby the 9th of, of May 2012. Okay. Yeah. But, you, but in that time period, you stopped for eight I months? I stopped for eight months. And this was, was through government? Through government, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. From start to finish, 
which sounds weird, but yeah, from start like uh, completing the forms the very first time, my wife will have to help me here. Uh, nine months. Yeah, it's, nine like, months. it's like a pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Nine months. Terence, from start to finish, number. We were lucky because um, because we had done the temporary safety care stuff. A lot of the a lot of those checks that uh, the vet was talking about, the police clearances and all those things, you still have to do for the temporary safety care stuff. So we had done all of the kind of background things. So it took us about three months, three to four months, all told. Okay, great. Um, I have a question here. I think it's a good question. So it says, if we are unable to adopt or be foster parents, is there an administrative role or something along those lines that we could assist and get involved with? Interesting. Okay, I know the homes that we got to Ganyazi from, they do need assistance every now and again, be it people who visit to take care of the babies, because you find that there's like 12 of them in one room and only two ladies, and it gets quite hectic, and the children don't get any love or any support. So when people have time and have energy, they go there, play with the kids, give them some support. Because the homes do a great, great job. The only thing that is missing there is the stimulation and the love and the drawing from the child. So if people can go and draw what is inside of the child, that could be quite helpful. And of course, nappies, milk, all that that they need. Great. Great. I hope that's helpful for the person who asked that. Um, uh, so there's a lot of questions here, so I'm going to try to kind of take a few and summarize them. Um, how do you handle, you know, family, um, be it parents, grandparents, cousins, uncles? Um, and I guess this question more speaks to if you're adopting across race. Um, it could even speak if you're adopting across cultures, maybe. Um, how do you handle a family um, who wrestle with this issues of racism. Um, yeah, let's leave it at that. Some, so just some, some practical tips. How do you walk through that uh, when you know that there's a racist uncle who is going to really struggle with this? Yeah. Well, I think on our end, um, those are very real issues that we had to deal with. I mean, like I said, our close family, we had the discussions. They were uncertain about it, but we had to come to a point after really trying to share the vision with them and why we're doing this. We had to come to a point where we said, this is what we are convinced we are, have to do. It's a calling. We feel very strongly about it. So we trust they will support us through this. But it's not like their uh, disapproval is going to stop us from doing it. Um, the amazing thing is that our close family just kind of through this process drew very near. It's amazing that what happens in those first month, two, three months afterwards, they just come to light. They realize that this is a child. This is just part of the family. You know, they may look a little bit different than the rest of the family, but it's just part of the family. We did have issues with my father's brother um, and he, my cousins on that end. Sia is now three years old, and we haven't spoken a word to them since the adoption. And that's just not from our side. They've just decided that, you know, they're not speaking to us anymore. But that's just, I mean... We believe that also shows people's hearts up. Adoption is amazing. It shows up your own heart, but it also shows up the heart of other people around you. And, um, and we just keep praying for them. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, we were quite lucky. Uh, our, our immediate family um, 
were, were very welcoming and loving uh, immediately. I think they were all surprised that even I could get a child. Um, so they were just happy. Um, I think my mother was just happy that he, she could get a grandson. Uh, but we, we had no real issues when it came to, to um, uh, any sort of racism or discrimination against, against him. And I, I think we were, we were lucky enough to be able to, because we were in a transracial marriage, we, we kind of knew which family members, extended family members might not be okay with it and which ones were going to be okay with it. Uh, one or two we haven't seen in forever, like, like the vet said. And the, the fact is our child's safety and, and happiness is more important than, than those people. So we, we, we put those, we put him ahead of those family members uh, and like the vet said, it's their choice. If they want to be part of our lives and his life, they're welcome to, but they have to love him as they would love any other biological child. Great. You good? Okay. No, but like I say, it was just my cousin who had a problem. Yeah. And I think it was just beautiful in that um, my dad's uh, birthday is on in May, right? The week, the week I fetched her, I fetched her on the 9th of May. Brought her home. In that weekend, my dad was celebrating his 60th birthday, so the whole family was there. So I got a chance to just like surprise, and um, <laughs> it, it was just interesting how it was a whole shock and excitement at the same time. But God was gracious in that everybody opened up their hearts, except. But she's she's fine. She looks at her. Hey, oh my uncle had a problem because she thought I wouldn't last. Actually, nobody trusted me. <laughs> yeah, no. everybody thought, what is she doing? And yeah. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. Um, I think this will be a challenge. Uh, this will just be a massive challenge, especially in the country that we live in, with the narrative that it has. Um, so I think it's it's good to expect it. Almost, you guys are saying be prepared, but at the same time, you know, remind yourself that this is your child, and and you're here to love and protect. Um, cool. A uh, few more questions. J- just maybe two, two more, three more. Um, Here's a good one. How important is it to raise a child that's been adopted? Um, how important is it to raise them in their own heritage, culture, language? Um, and how do you do this? So is this important if you know you're adopting uh, a child from uh, a different culture, a different ethnicity? Uh, and is it important to, to raise them up in that? To, um, how's, how important is language, um, gentlemen? This sounds um, like a question Terence wants to answer. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, oh, sure, but, um, I, I would say it's it's very important, but also very hard. Um, the the way I kind of thought thought it through is if if my son gets to an age where he is questioning his identity and his his culture and his heritage, which actually he will. Like it's inevitable that this is going to happen. It happened to me, it happened to I'm sure it happens to everyone at some point. It definitely happens to children who are who are adopted. Um I, I want to be able to say that I did my best. Um you know, he I'm I I might not be able to learn Cosa, I can't even say the word Cosa properly, which is my shame. Um, I might not be able to understand the culture, the heritage well enough. But one day when he asks me about it, I want to be able to say with confidence, I did everything I could to to teach you about your heritage, to teach you about your culture, to be part of that myself, to to make sure that you were immersed, that you met people who um, were from that culture. 
uh, that we had friends who were from that culture, that we we normalized it. Um, you know, that and in Cape Town, this is a, a massive issue because Cape Town is one of the most divided cities in the world, I think, when it comes to um, economics and, and race. So it's it's one of the one of our goals and one of the things that we're struggling with is finding racial mirrors for my son. You know, someone who he looks like him, who isn't just a domestic worker, not that there's anything wrong with being a domestic worker, but who who is a peer, um, who he can look up to and say, oh, that's someone who I can be like, um, and who isn't someone who is employed by other people who look like us. Uh, so we want to make sure that that he meets those people, that he sees us engaging with those people and respecting them and loving them and showing him that uh, wherever he comes from, whoever he is related to biologically, whatever his heritage is, we love those people and we definitely love him. That's great. Any any other thoughts? Um, I, I think Terence has touched on a lot of uh, important points there. I mean, it's a, it's a complex issue. I think one thing that comes out of there, it needs a lot of thought, careful, prayerful thought in the way you negotiate these things. We don't have all the answers. The reality is that you're taking a child into your home, and in essence, they're going to become part of your culture. Now, as a Christian, we believe my primary culture is a Christian culture. But of course, my, I speak Afrikaans at home, and that has an influence. I mean, your language creates certain kinds of divides as well. So we have to find ways how we can bridge that as well. I mean, um, so the choice of schools... Uh, I think as Terence also said, you want to make sure that there are peers for him as well um, that look like him. Um, so, so, so we have to think carefully of schools, and, and this is part of the way we have to structure our entire lives is around this. Um, and then, of course, to give him a positive view of the culture that his biologic mother was from. But can I teach that culture to him? No. I mean, I don't know that culture. So... But, but can I teach him the respect for all peoples and th- that we value differences? That's certainly a core value that we um, try to instill into his life. Cool. I'm black, she's black. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, done deal. No excuses. So black. Um, cool. But yeah, as, as, as uh, the, everybody's saying, it's just the values that are important. As long as you teach the because, okay, just to say, um, I, I don't know her culture, what her culture is. So, obviously, what I know is mine, and I will teach her mine. And because she's my daughter, she will follow what I am. Great. Yeah, be it adopted or not. Cool. Uh, friends, for the sake of time, uh, I'm going to ask one last question, and, um, and then I'm going to give you guys a short, like, really brief, like a one-liner uh, of just a last thought that you'd want to share with people here, like on adoption. What is that one passionate thing that you're like, if this was the last thing that I was going to say about it, this is what I'd say. Um, but before we do that, here's, here's this question. H- help us, because I think um, in issues like this, we tend to use the wrong language. We, we tend to say the wrong things. Um, Terence, we saw your video talking about some of the things that frustrate you uh, when, when people speak to you or ask you a uh, question. So, so Educate us. What, what are some things that are unhelpful to say? Uh, and then maybe what would you rather hear instead of? All right. So teach us. 
I think Darren's did a great rundown of a, lo a lot of the issues. Um, I, th I think something that people certainly don't get is the fact that this is your child. I mean, they're like, okay, so this is your adopted child, but certainly you do want a biological child as well. Like, this is a second prize. And I think that's extremely unhelpful. And not that it hurts us, but, I mean, the message that it conveys to the child and the fact that it, it, it really uh, gives you insight into the way people think out there, what the world is thinking. I mean, I had someone actually just this week, uh, a Christian, we had a discussion. He said, okay, so how does the adoption work? So, okay, so you adopt the child, and then when they're 18, um, they're not your child anymore. I was like, what do you mean? They're my children like your children. Your five children are your children, you know? There is no difference. So it's an educational process as well. Um, but, but I think that's one, probably one of the most unhelpful things um, that people uh, can you know, they don't do it on purpose, but it just comes out. It kind of betrays the way people think. Okay, honestly, <clears throat> I don't mind talking about adoption at all and about the fact that she's adopted. But as we talk, uh, or whoever asks questions, there will be at times when I say, don't say this and don't do this, because I believe it's ministry. And um, I've seen it in a way that um, it's helped me grow as a, as a Christian. So if it helps anybody else understand the, very, the love... It, there's something that I draw from her and she draws from me that when it mixes, like when it comes together in the middle, it becomes so beautiful that you feel like sharing it with everybody. So I really, on a serious note, I don't mind talking about it. Actually, people um, accuse me of talking too much about it as if it's the, it's the it. But it's not about the being it, it being the it, but it's me saying there's a love beyond understanding that I never thought existed. And I want everybody to know that there is such that exists. So it's, it's, yeah, being free about it allows me to say, no, you can't say that. Like, no, don't be silly now, kind of thing like that. Yeah. Terence? Yeah, I think I um, totally agree with, with, both, with both of those statements. I, I think something that I've found difficult, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if you notice, I like to talk a lot. Um, and I like to share stories and I like to tell my stories, but um, don't, don't, push to get the story, the backstory of the adopted child. Um, there's a lot of personal, very difficult things there. And um, it's his, it's his story to tell, you know, it's, it's, it, it, I, I like, I do a lot of my work is on social media and it's very difficult for me not to just, you know, by mistake, tell things, uh, say things about his backstory, but it's very important that he has control over that story um so don't don't ask too deeply and um if you're close enough the, the family will, will tell you but but really just um that for you as as a outsider looking into the family all you need to know is that this is their new child or this is their new child and um that's their child you don't need to know the backstory great thanks so so guys um and lady that, that one last thought that you'd want to leave us with um, on, about something that you're very passionate about and believe that the church should be passionate about at different degrees, um, what, what would that one thing be? Uh, I'm going to go with the vet first. <laughs> okay. So I would think that adoption is an amazingly positive message. 
for Christians more so than anyone else in the world. I mean, it's our supreme privilege that we are adopted. And that's the message we want to carry out to the world. Because the world out there, for, for them, adoption is almost taboo, right? Don't even mention the word. But for us, adoption is this precious, precious gift. Both as Christians, but for us as a church, it's a gift. And we need to give this message out to the world that it is a wonderful, positive thing. And in our experience of adoption of our two kids, yes, there's been challenges, like there are challenges with any other family. But we are thankful every single day for the privilege we had and still have as adoptive parents. And, and, and that's the message I'd just like to leave with you guys. Great. Thanks, David. Bui? All right. Maybe just to share a small story. Um, you know when I got to Ganyezine, when you put her in the, in the like in a cassette, she'd be stiff, like, you know? Or you'd see she's afraid to cry or something like that. It's almost like, I'm not sure, is this for real? Is this not real, you know? And I realized that as Christians, that's what we do. When God calls us in, he says, you're free your mind. We have this, can I trust him, can I not kind of feel? That's, that's what it meant to me. But a child being a child, she grew comfortable in no time. And it's amazing how every day she grew more beautiful, more beautiful. You're like, wow, who is this child? You know, it's, it's, it's almost like God, as you get sanctified, you, like, it, 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 it fulfills me more than her. It, it, it just, it, it, so it's, it's amazing how Adoption actually shows you that God just wants us to relax in him and allow him to trust. Like, we should trust him as we grow more beautiful in him and we do fulfill him as, as we just become his unconditionally because the love that, I know everybody, the love that we share for our kids, it's something that's beyond understanding. Actually, we post that we love our children more than you love your biological children. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's something that's beyond understanding and nobody can explain. So if only we understood or grasped what God feels for us through adoption in our way, we'd actually be moving in ways unimaginable. Brilliant. I actually once heard a, a story uh, just on that, that there were kids um, around the table and, and one of them was adopted and they were going back and forth uh, over breakfast debating uh, who uh, is loved more by their parents and they're going back and forth and back and forth and because of this and I'm clever and I do sport and, and the adopted little boy was just sitting there comfortably eating his cornflakes and after a while they turned to him and said, why aren't you participating in this? And he said, well, it's because I know that um, mom and dad love me more uh, because they picked me whereas with you guys it's like they didn't know what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so true story. Terrence, uh, Oh, flip, I should have gone second, uh, not last, because that was really good. Um, uh, I think um, I, always, I always think of another friend of mine who's adopted, and uh, she wrote a blog, and one line really caught my attention. Uh, she was talking about the privilege that adoption is for the, the parents, uh, more so than the child, like massively more so than the child. And um, the line that she says, save someone, become a superhero. If you want to make your family bigger, adopt. And I think that that's really important, is that you can't go into it with a, I'm saving this child from, from the child's problems. You're going into it saying, I, am, I want to fulfill a whole in my family, and I, I would love for that child to come from wherever. But that way, you are the one who is, who's privileged, and you're not putting the, the pressure on the child to, to make you feel good about yourself. 
Cool. Thanks. Thank you so much, guys. Can you guys give um, our panelists a round of applause just for coming out tonight and, and sharing their stories, sharing their lives? Uh, and I hope that the little that you've heard would be an encouragement to you. To, I'm not saying go out there and go adopt. Um, I don't believe everyone has to adopt, but uh, but there's a role for us to play at every level, um, whether it's just you know taking the items that are necessary for uh, kids who are in orphanages or, or being a place of safety or, or actually you know just adopting. I think there's multiple ways for us to, to play a role in what God is doing uh, and to really reflect um, what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so thank you guys so, so, so much. Um, there's some resources that uh, a few of the folks here thought might be incredibly helpful for those who want to investigate a little bit more. And so this is how we're going to make them available to you. Uh, if you go to Rooted Fellowship on Facebook um, by tomorrow lunch, they'll be posted on there, some links, um, some sermons, some books, uh, just for you guys to, to dive a little bit deeper if you want to know a little bit more. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is uh, we're hoping to do this every second month, uh, to have this lechutla and to address an issue um, that we feel is necessary to talk about um, some real things that are happening in our country. And so the next one is the 5th of April. Uh, you can put that up right at the end. It's cool, right at the end. Um, there'll be a slide just for folks who want to take a picture or remember or put in their diary. So the 5th of April uh, is going to be the next lechutla. It's going to be same place, same time. And, uh, and we're going to be discussing, or maybe the, the title of the topic is, Is Privilege a Dirty Word? All right, so is privilege a dirty word? And I'm just going to leave it as that. You guys can wrestle with it in the car back home. To like, what was he talking about? Is it white privilege? Is it, what is he saying? Um, so I hope you guys will come out for that. we got a great guy coming to speak to us from Cape Town. Uh, phenomenal guy. And, and just he's wrestled with this a lot. And so I think there's a lot to share. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us, and then you guys uh, are free to do whatever it is that you want to do. But at some point, you've got to go home. So, so please do that as well. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you um, for each and every single person here. Thank you that we can talk about this, um, that this might be a touchy uh, topic for some. This might be brand new for others. Uh, I'm hoping that you would meet us where we are uh, and that we would go home with just a better understanding of First, the adoption that exists uh, in the gospel, that you have reconciled us uh, back to yourself through your son Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, uh, and that there's an implication to that, that we get to reflect uh, that beautiful, beautiful relationship that exists between us and you. Uh, and so there's, we've heard tonight many ways to uh, enter into this space. Um, and so I ask that you would just begin to work in our hearts um, I have no idea what that means for some of us, um, but I know that it's good because you are good. And, um, and so, Father, we love you. I pray for everyone that's going home that they will travel safely. Um, and, yeah, uh, we love you. We praise you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a fantastic evening.